Welcome to the Continued Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Fawn Carson, and I'm Senior Managing Editor at OccupationalTherapy.com. Today's podcast features our host, Dr. Dennis Cleary, discussing occupational therapy and case management focused on holistic care and functional outcomes with our guest, Dr. Thomas F. Fisher. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Dennis Cleary. I'm a senior researcher and occupational therapist at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in beautiful Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm really happy to be joined today by uh, Dr. Tom Fisher, Dean Emeritus Fisher. Um, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, so I'm, I always have to start with this question. Are you really one of the 100 most influential persons of the first century of our profession? I guess that's true. Um, that's what they said at our 2017 100 celebration in Philadelphia. So thank you for recognizing that. Absolutely. Well, welcome. I mean, it's a, it's a very unique, I, there's only 100 of you, but um, I, the founders were part of that 100. So that was when we had our 100th anniversary of our profession and, and you all were uh, nominated. So how many of the 100 leading occupational, th- I'm sorry, most influential occupational therapists are still with us? Uh, I do not know the exact count. The last number I heard was 60. So, um, but it's not like I keep track of that. <laughs> but thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. I, I will on your behalf. Absolutely. Well, well, thanks for being here today. And I know you have always had an interest in case management. And um, so that's, that's going to be our, our talk today and what we're talking about, uh, occupational therapy and case management. Um, to look at uh, focusing on holistic care and and functional outcomes. But could you just tell us a little bit, I've always been amazed at the variety of practice settings and the amount of different people you've met and worked with through through the years. So you just tell us a little bit about your decision to become an occupational therapist and then um, sort of what your your life course has been through the profession. Sure. Um, I, like probably many, did not know what occupational therapy was. Um, and was meeting with my advisor at Indiana University, who said to me, it looks like you took a lot of sciences in high school. Have you thought about the School of Medicine? And I said, I am not interested in going to college that long. So no, I'm not interested in becoming a physician. <laughs> and she shared with me that there was a school of allied health within the school of medicine at IU and that maybe one of those disciplines would be of interest. So the next semester, there was this intro to allied health professions. It introduced me to, oh, I, I guess there's probably 15 to 20 different uh, disciplines that would come and share, you know, what they did. And I narrowed it down to, um, occupational therapy and physical therapy, of which I knew about. I did not know anything about either one. So this is mid, you know, 1970s. So Mm -hmm. I took a transporter job in a hospital in the summer between my uh, freshman, sophomore year in college as for the rehab department, taking patients from their acute care rooms down to the rehab department. And by that exposure between OT and PT, I saw that OT was much more compatible with my philosophy and it looked at the psychosocial component. So there was 
times when we went on to the mental health unit, we were on the PEDS unit, you know, there was just a variety. Not to minimize PT, but it just seemed um, much more physical in nature only. And I knew that people, to make them tick, it was also a lot of mental health and psychosocial too. So started taking the prerequisites to go to OT school and the rest is history. Started in PEDS. Well, tell us about your, you had very interesting field work. Could you tell us about your field work and kind of from the start, you had kind of a unique um, sort of uh, introduction of the profession. I did. Yeah. Um, I did my mental health out East is back in the days where you actually did nine months of field work instead mm -hmm. of six months. And so I uh, was with at Shepherd Pratt hospital and Johns Hopkins and with many other students from all over the country I then um, did a physical disabilities in Pennsylvania, and then my peds was actually uh, in Cincinnati, Cincinnati uh, Public Schools. Uh -huh. You had a prominent fieldwork educator in Cincinnati, if I remember. I had two prominent, and actually lots of uh, instructors that taught us in the evenings after um, the day, but Ginny Scardina and Shelley Lane were my um, billwork uh, educators. I spent three days with Jenny and two days with Shelley. Um, and then the evenings were taken up with other sensory integration kinds of founders and people who led me to pediatrics. Um, started out in school systems, knew I needed to get a master's, so went back and got a master's at Purdue. Practiced for 18 years prior to going to higher education when I um, went in to get my PhD at the University of Kentucky. So practiced in all areas, mental health, adults, a little bit of everything. So why did you decide to go back and do your PhD? At a yeah, I um, actually was uh, in a hospital system that got acquired again. And so I thought, where can I go where, you know, this acquisitions and joint ventures doesn't happen. And was at an airport heading to a national conference with some faculty from Eastern Kentucky University who said, you know, you should go to academia. You know, if you end up getting promoted and tenured, you're good to go. You know, you, you don't have to worry about that. And you're already halfway there. So that's what I did. Gotcha. So you're in Kentucky. So I know that two of the reasons why you uh, were um, just determined to be one of the 100 most influential occupational therapist in our profession is that you helped the write the licensure acts in both Kentucky and Indiana. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like and how that sort of led you uh, partly to at least to that, that list of hundred most influential occupational therapists? Sure. Yeah. And advocacy was something that I hadn't planned on doing, but became quite evident when I moved to Kentucky in the early 1980s, there were 68 of us total in the state. Um, so needless to say, it wasn't a well-known profession just at, you know, the main cities of Lexington and Louisville. And so um, I was shared that, you know, there was some legislation happening where another discipline was starting to mirror what OTs did and was shared by the professional, National Professional Association, the AOTA, that um, 
licensure was now something that the states should be going for. And so we decided that we would launch that in Kentucky and um, were successful. And so because I had that experience when I moved back to Indiana, um, they said, can we tap you to help us? We're only certified in the state. We'd like to go for licensure. And you had the experience in Kentucky. Are you willing to help us? And so I, it's the same process in all the states. So it, it wasn't challenging. It was, you know, getting people to do what they needed to do, meet with their reps, meet with their senators all over the state. So when they arrived at the state capitol, they understood what OT was and that why it needed to move from certification to licensure. And anyone on this call can do it. It's not that challenging. You got to get involved. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcasts. Just head over to occupationaltherapy.com and sign up to start earning the CEUs you need online. You'll get unlimited access to hundreds of courses, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and text courses, and the audio courses you love for just $99 per year. And if you sign up today, you'll get 13 months of unlimited CEU access for the price of 12. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners, so don't wait. Go to occupationaltherapy.com and use promo code PODCAST and get 13 months for just $99. Join thousands of your colleagues who are already earning their CEUs online with occupationaltherapy.com, an AOTA-approved provider of continuing education and an NBCOT professional development provider. And don't forget to use promo code PODCAST at checkout to get your free bonus month. Once again, that's occupationaltherapy.com, promo code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get started today. And most uh, of our elected representatives are open to hearing from their constituents and, uh, you know, listening to what we have to say respectfully. And hopefully uh, we can help them understand the the, um, that's right. That our side is right, or at least close to right, I guess. So, um, so right. you also, so you, you've worked in mental health, you've worked in academia, but you also have some history in, in work, uh, worker rehabilitation, correct? And CARF, is that correct? I, okay. So, how did you get interested yep. in that as well? Um, when I was working as the director of outpatient services at a rehab hospital, Lexington, I got exposure to CARF, the Commission on Accreditation of Rehab Facilities. And during the site visit, um, two of the surveyors asked me whether I'd be interested in becoming a surveyor sometime because it seemed like I understood the standards and I was meeting them. And I said, sure, that would be something of interest. And so they invited me to get trained and I was um, moving from outpatient therapy services to occupational medicine, so it was really focused on return-to-work kinds of issues. Um, and we had, a, at that time, a work hardening and a work conditioning program, which now is called uh, occupational rehabilitation in the CARF system. Yeah, but is, is that sort of what got you interested then in, in case management from those experiences? Or how did you kind of walk down that road to to be interested in case management? Great question. Great question. Um, Actually, it was the time I was in home health doing care. And so many many of the cases were very complicated that I was on. And in home health, you're the only provider in the home at at any given time unless 
your visits do overlap and you see someone out in the driveway or you're passing, you know, on the street, you can pull over and talk with each other. But for the most part, you're in there. And so we'd leave notes with each other. And so some of the cases were so complicated. I said, well, how about if we meet at the office, you know, on this particular day? And so it would be myself and the nurse and the typically a PT or a speech language pathologist. And we sort of talk about that case and what we were doing and who was doing what. And here's what I'm focusing on. Can you reinforce that? And then as I was reading, you know, different materials, I understood this was called managing cases and case management. And so I started exploring that. And at that time, uh, the Case Management Society of America was emerging and they were starting to form this exam that people could take. Um, And so I was able to demonstrate that I had evidence for several years in doing it. Um, And that's how I got exposed to it, just by a need that was there that I tried to address with the other practitioners and obviously the patient and their families. And that made a lot of sense. The patients and, you know, appreciated that we were all trying to follow, follow up with each other to find out what's going on. So we weren't duplicating, but they were reinforcing what each other's goals were. Gotcha. So why do you, why do you think it's important for occupational therapists to understand what case managers do? Well, first of all, it's going to be, it is currently um, more front and center than it has been. And it's going to continue because it is um, a strategy for um, managing the limited resources that are allocated to different cases. As well as we now know that if patients and families become educated about their disease processes and are able to take more control of themselves and self-manage their conditions, they're going to have, you know, less hospitalizations, which are the costly piece. And for OTs, because similar to case management, the principles are the same. It's very holistic. You have to address the physical component, the mental health component, the psychosocial component, the social determinants of health, all the things that occupational therapists understand. So it, it, it is a great um, build on to what you have as OTs to become case managers and different cases, I mean, different diagnoses require those kinds of uh, case managers. So my area is primarily with traumatic brain injuries, but I certainly did, you know, workers comp, people who had musculoskeletal strains and sprains and trying to get them back to work as quickly as possible without re-injury. Did case management sort of come out of workers' compensation, or what? What is sort of the history of case management? How did it become sort of its um, its own unique profession now? Yeah, it um, it did actually, Dennis. That's it. It did come out of the workers' compensation world. Uh, Liberty Mutual, I believe, was the first insurance company that began to use that model back in the nineteen forties um, because there were people uh, getting injured on the job that were not returning to the job, but yet were still getting compensated um, by their employers. And so the employers um, went to Liberty Mutual as an insurance carrier and said, how can we get these people back to work? Those that can come back to work as opposed to all these people being off of work. And so that's how it 
um, emerged. And since it worked in that system, healthcare said, well, it should absolutely work in the healthcare industry as well, as opposed to just utilization review, which was the previous systems in healthcare where there were nurses in the hospital who were looking at those patients that had been in the beds too long and trying to figure out why are they in the bed because it's costly to keep them there and it's occupying a bed that they can't admit someone else and they may have to move them to another hospital. So it expanded that utilization review component that many nurses were already in. So that's a quick history of case management. Gotcha. And, and 90 seconds or less. So good job on that. Um, so we're going to play define some define some terms here. Um, so how would you define case management? If you think of defining case management on its own? Yeah. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't use what the Case Management Society of America, how it defines it. And it defines it as a collaborative process that assesses, plans, implements, coordinates, monitors, and evaluates the options and services required to meet an individual's health needs to attain the goal of quality and cost-effective care. So it's pretty broad, but it's how OTs think, so it's not anything new to us. But that's how case management is defined in the literature by the Case Management Society of America, which is the uh, leading professional organization for case managers. Now, I, I know you have that memorized, but if you would, if you would sort of translate that for for the rest of us that don't have it memorized, how would you say what would how would you define case management? I would say it's um, getting the right services to the right person at the right time. So, at certain points in time, PT may be the appropriate service. Um, at certain times, speech may be now the service that we need to be looking at, or a different kind of physician needs to be called in because now the patient is progressing. In OT, you know, we can do our own thing with an upper extremity injury, but then eventually we may need to refer them to our colleagues as certified hand therapists or persons with driving rehab specialties. Um, so it's that sort of concept of getting the right services and the right care in the right setting. And the lower the care, I mean, the lower the cost um, for the care. So at the home, it's going to be less expensive or outpatient than being actually hospitalized. Gotcha. That help? Yeah, that does. Um, and then could you look at case coordination? We've, we've got five terms we're going to define. So case coordination. Yeah. And care coordination is basically the same sort of thing as case management is sometimes used simul they're used interchangeably um, but again it's coordinating the care and where as case managers we've decided it's more than just coordinating but it's also managing that so that if something doesn't happen why didn't it happen as opposed to just a coordination of those services there's also that management quality piece that comes to it so that's the difference Gotcha. And then disease management. Well, disease management has surfaced because of case management that there are certain diseases that now have become identified as the most expensive. So, and those that are surfacing frequently, like diabetes, um, some of the neurodegenerative disorders, such as 
Parkinson's or ALS or multiple sclerosis. So those disease processes we understand as health professionals are going to take their own course. And so to, it becomes more of a teaching education piece for the man, case managers, therapists that are working with those clients to understand their disease because they can manage it if they um, are given the information of how to manage it and to be aware that there will be you know, remissions and there will be exacerbations. And so what do you do in terms of when your symptoms are starting to get worse? You know, what should you do? So it's managing that disease process. Gotcha. And then everybody's favorite, everyone's favorite topic is managed care. So could you talk a little bit about managed care? Yeah. Um, so managed care is not as popular as it was. Um, and because how that worked was that uh, there was a certain pot of money that was given for certain diagnoses. And so the the burden was actually on the case managers and or the insurance companies to try and contain the services within that capped amount. Because if the with the bid that happened each year <clears throat> for those managed care products, if you went over that, then the premiums for those enrollees would increase because uh, you went over it. If it went under, which typically didn't happen, then you were able to cover services that you hadn't had prior to that. So that was a good thing, but it still hadn't happened um, as frequently as it should. In fact, there's also um, what was called health maintenance organizations or prospective payment organizations where they actually try to predict for a person with this condition, here's what it should take. And now we know that that model worked for a very short period of time, but because of the complexity of humans and their compliance with their programs or their medications, et cetera, it just didn't work as well. Um, but, you know, Humana definitely has a product. Medicare Advantage is a product still, but I think fewer and fewer are going to that because. And then some state, I think some state Medicaid's are. That, and if, if, yeah, if Medicare does it, then typically Medicaid and other insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that some hospitals have done well and some have not done well just based on, you know, what they're looking to, their anticipated allocation, allocation of services and whether they, they hit those benchmarks or not. Um, it's always, always interesting. Right. Right. And that's just, yeah. And it, so difficult to predict and be successful at it. Um, so I think there's probably more of a tendency unless the person has no other options and they go into these managed care products. Right. So do you, do you think that we'll continue to see an increased use of, of case management in healthcare in the years to come, or do you think it's leveling off? What would you say about that? No, I, I think it will, um, absolutely increase. And I say that primarily because at our case management meetings, we keep hearing about the demand um, for case managers and, and um, different employers looking for these individuals because they have evidence to show that it has decreased the amount of money that was being spent as well as the time that the case is open. 
because someone's watching and determining, well, this isn't moving in the right direction. What changes should we make so that we can revisit this in the next couple of weeks and see what's happened and says something otherwise just keeps lingering and, and the case keeps staying open and it doesn't get closure. And meanwhile, more cases are opening. So, um, it, it is a way to, um, control the costs, control the settings where people are getting served, moving them back and forth, um, transitioning into post-acute care at a right time. If that doesn't work, then moving them back into uh, the home, perhaps, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, the predictions are pretty um, clear that it, it is, especially for those that are uninsured, um, to actually get on top of them so that they don't go into a, a system where they're getting services that will never be paid for. Yeah, and it's interesting too. And so, in my the population that I tend to work with, which is adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, a lot of the the Medicaid products that have case managers that are obviously they have multiple case managers, you know, that are trying to help coordinate services. But a lot of the, the the Medicaid providers are starting to look at other social determinants of health and and looking to see what what supports maybe somebody needs that. Um, you know, if we can help them find a job and maintain a job, then, you know, they might be using uh, fewer um, healthcare resources. So I don't know if, if you want to talk a little bit about that and how we, we help, you know, case managers try to coordinate among multiple case managers uh, for the benefit of the, of the client. I don't know if you've seen that in, in some of your experiences or not. Yes, absolutely. So there's what's considered an internal case manager, which is someone in the system trying to navigate a person within their own system. And there's an external that sometimes is hired by the family, by the insurance companies to give that person some ideas about how you might continue helping this person thinking from a different perspective and having a much more, much broader um, understanding of health systems, again, which I think OTs understand the health and human systems, you know, quite well, because we are finding ourselves in not only healthcare systems, but community. Plus, with the workforce um, challenges that all employers are having, persons with traumatic brain injuries, persons with intellectual deficits, persons with developmental disabilities, what we know is that they are reliable. They want to work. Now, they may not be able to work full-time a lot of times because that might run the risk of losing their disability. But they, to at least be part-time gives, you know, and you have a couple, three people doing part-time receptionist work. Now you've got that position filled. And you got, you know, you're also giving back to these individuals who want to work, need to work, and are quite good at a lot of the things that they have been trained to do through your program and other programs like yours, where before families didn't think that they could do that. They, just, they were assuming that they needed to stay at home or be institutionalized or those sorts of things. But um, employers are looking at it differently and... Um, families are looking at it differently as we move into this new era. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what are some of the challenges that you think the healthcare system uh, is going to continue to face in the years uh, to come that case management can help with? 
Well, I think just the pure volume of um, persons that are going to need case management is um, indisputable. I mean, 10,000 Americans are turning 65 every day from now until is it 2030. So we have a lot of older persons who may not have family nearby, but yet are needing to have some sort of support to um, navigate the complicated healthcare system we have. So I know there was a point in time where I was being approached by insurance companies because of my um, certification as a case manager saying, you know, I've got a client who lives in Georgetown, Kentucky, but the the daughter lives in Seattle, Washington, cannot get back as frequently as she needs to, to take care of, you know, would you be able to help this person and navigate their doctor's appointments, check on, in on them, on their health kind of system. So I think more of that will be happening. Um, and, you know, people are willing to pay for it privately um, just because it's peace of mind to know that if their family member has someone, a professional checking in, you know, seeing that they're not going to a physician appointment alone or that here are the questions you need to ask when you go to that physician, doing a follow-up with that physician's office to see how it went. Um, and I think more and more of that will um, happen because of, again, the need to control costs um, so that uh, people aren't having to pay higher premiums than they already are. So um, you talk about your own uh, uh, CCM, your certification in case management. Is it certification? Certification. CCM, certified case manager. Certified there case manager. There you go. Manager, so, yeah. um, how, so I assume since you're an occupational therapist that you think that case management and occupational therapy is really compatible. Can you talk a little bit about that? What's the skill set? then maybe um, there's a lot of overlap in. Yes, absolutely. As I had said earlier, um, as case managers, the holistic approach is being is needing to be taken. And as occupational therapists, that's what we learned from day one, is that it isn't just about the physical, but it is also the psychosocial. It is also about the cognitive. It is about the, you know, social health determinants, housing, um, transportation, those things that are important for people to, you know, do what they want to do, need to do, or expected to do as occupational beings. And so it was a perfect fit. I mean, um, now to take the exam, I, I definitely needed to um, get much more comfortable with medications because as as an OT, the medication things I would know about the medications when I worked in cardiac, what those medications were, and then when I switched to other dis other disabilities, other diseases, and I learned about those, but I didn't have a really a well understanding. So the medications were probably and, and and talking with other OTs that are CCMs, it was probably the thing that we um, had to really study. I got flashcards and you know. Uh, memorized so that when those questions came up that this person was on this particular antidepressant, I understood what that was and how, what the side effects were so that I was able to answer those. But otherwise, you know, <clears throat> thinking about the 
environments that people are having to live in after a disability was not a challenge for me. Understanding the ADA, those questions on the exam was, was not a challenge because I understood that. Where during the break, the nursing people were saying, oh my gosh, do you even know what ADA is? So they were having to come into the world. American Dental Association. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I think absolutely that, um, and I did workshops uh, about encouraging OTs to consider case management because it's a nice transition once you have your foundational knowledge of disease processes mm -hmm. and the systems to be able to then move into this gestalt picture of the, the whole person in their homes and their families, which is what case managers do. But it's not a huge change in what how OTs are educated. Does that answer the question? So, yeah, no, absolutely. So the, the roots of case management really are, are in nursing, would you say? What other, but, so that's the, you know, you talked about that we would maybe not have quite as much uh, preparation and medications as a, as a nurse would, but so um, it came from that and then other professions. So other than nurses, what other professions might be involved uh, in as certified case managers? Good question. Um, <clears throat> there's, you know, when you apply through the commission for um, sitting for the exam, there's two categories. One's just for nurses and the other one's for non-nurses. And um, the, the next largest category are social workers um, and then uh, rehab counselors, vocational rehab counselors, and then OTs um, are probably the fourth largest. Uh, there are more disciplines coming in. PT is now um, uh, moving into this area. Speech therapists are considering um, becoming case managers as well. So it's, I think uh, nurses, because of their education and a lot of this is medical surgical kinds of cases that are become, but then as it moves into the rehab phase, that's where they sort of, unless they're a certified rehab RN, they really don't understand the, the rehab process or the different disciplines um, as OTs would. So that's, so those are the disciplines. Yeah. So there's fewer um, CRCs, so certified rehabilitation counselors that are out there. Um, so there's certainly fewer of those that would be able to, to manage some of these. I imagine they're involved in more of the, the workers' compensation or employment types of, of case management. So again, a great opportunity for occupational therapists. And as you said, probably not the, the best first job for an OT, um, probably get a little bit of seasoning uh, underneath them uh, before they're they're starting to work as a case manager, just that you have a, a wider breadth and, and depth of, of what it is that um, that we've done. Um, but can but can you talk about maybe the skill set that an occupational therapist would bring to this or an occupational therapy assistant? And then a little bit of the difference between what a case manager is and a certified case manager and, and maybe the roles that, that, a, that an OTA um, would be able to to perform. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, anyone could be a case manager. You don't even need to be a health professional. Um, <clears throat> now, I think it's much more challenging and, and I don't believe that many of them are getting hired, or at least that's not, not what I've seen. Um, but to be a case manager, if you have, you know, the ability to um, 
have people skills, can do some interviewing, uh, read reports, and know how to move this person along the continuum. That, that's all it really is um, the prerequisite. So occupational therapy assistants absolutely could be case managers um, and sometimes are in internal case managers inside skilled nursing facilities or assisted living facilities. Um, but to become a certified case manager, the commission has now, or and has for 30 years, has been um, very clear that you have to have a professional license where you're independent of someone else supervising you. Now, those of us that are non-nurses believe that it's the nurses who did that so that LPNs um, would not move into the certified case management world. Um, so it is um, only RNs at this point, and so similar um, in the other category, it's mostly professionals like occupational therapists, social workers that have independent autonomy in their license um, is one of the first criteria to be able to qualify to sit for it. Uh, you then also need, at a minimum, <clears throat> two years of experience. It was five, and just like with CHTs, that used to be five, and now it's three. People are questioning, why do you have to have so many years experience or so many hours? And it's really 20% of your job, has to, an employer has to verify that you did do case management in that so that there is this employer verification of the person applying to sit for the exam to say that, yes, this person did, um, or if 100% of their job, but at a minimum 20%, so that it adds up to a certain number of months. If someone, and there is the cases where some people are supervising case managers, CCMs, that aren't CCMs. So those people can actually only be doing it for a year. Um, but if, again, if they meet the requirement, such as a nurse um, with Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, the nurse there had never been a CCM, but she managed the, the case management division. And so she was supervising CCMs, but so she understood conceptually what the case manager, the certified case managers were doing. So they give them a little bit of a break and they only have to have a year for them to be. And, and again, I would encourage Dennis, anyone who's thinking about it to always go on to the website um, to check, to see how those uh, criteria for um, sitting for the exam may have changed because it certainly can change um, by the board of directors deciding that it can change. As, as we've known in our profession, that sometimes things like that change from, from time to time in terms of requirements and whatnot. Um, so are there, are there specific things that occupational therapists you think bring to the table um, as a case manager or, or maybe like, is it, would a, a CCM in terms of some of the other occupational therapists that you know are CCMs, do they primary work in in rehabilitation types of fields, or might they work, you know, elsewhere within healthcare or uh, other other places where where certified case managers work? Or are they primarily working in, in within the rehab settings? No, um, I I know of some that are working in acute care, and so they're actually you know um, going to the intensive care, the cardiac care patients that are sort of outliers and getting involved in those cases to keep them moving along. 
They're also an outpatient. Um, there are at least two that I know of on the West Coast that that's what they're doing is managing some of those outpatient. Now, they primarily are um, rehab cases, persons who've had strokes or spinal cord injuries. But then there are some who've had, you know, several um, heart attacks and have compromised breathing. And so they're not able to go back to work. And so they wanted a different type of case manager. So a, an OT with case management background seemed to be the better fit than a nurse who may or may not understand the skills that are needed for this kind of job or how to even um, go about thinking of how to get someone back to work or to a different work category um, or working with persons like you and your um, project search. What I think about long COVID as well and how we're trying to <clears throat> meet the needs of uh, some people that are, are living with long COVID. And I, I haven't really heard a lot about how the role of an occupational therapist within case management might have a better sense of, of some of those long-term effects that, that COVID has had, you know, for a certain percentage of our, of our population um, would be pretty interesting. Yeah, so, no, that's, that, yeah, that is. That could be your next article, occupational therapy and long COVID. Yeah, mild cognitive impairment. We, yes, we know uh, that there's some challenges there. Yeah, absolutely. So, to, so certified case managers, do they work independently? Are they contracted to organizations, or would they primarily work for um, who? Who would employ a certified case manager? Health systems hire them. Insurance companies hire them, and then, like myself. Some of us are working independently with a private practice and get referrals from people that we worked with who know the, our work and um, would prefer this particular case to be handled by someone who has that area of expertise as opposed to keeping them internally. Um, so, yeah, it's and, I, and I'm sure there are going to be um, – case managers in the penal system. There's probably going to be case managers in domestic shelters. I mean, the the need for someone to help this individual with all those sorts of issues that um, result in trying to get back to functional outcomes, it, the sky's the limit. And so that's why I'm delighted that you had um, asked for this particular podcast on occupational therapy and case management. Yeah. So would you say that um, if if someone, and I also think now that I'm getting a little older, um, you know, it might be a good, uh, I, I oftentimes when I walk into an, an inpatient rehabilitation facility and you look at the, the occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants that are working in those settings, a lot of times there does seem to be kind of a, a natural flow, not certainly across the board and not to stereotype anyone or to be ageist, because I, I, as an occupational therapist, I shouldn't be ageist. But I, I think about my own issues with my back, and I have a little bit of a knee issue going on, that probably doing lots and lots of transfers on an ongoing basis is not uh, in my in my near future. Um, but do you see it as, as kind of maybe for occupational therapists that are, are looking for a new challenge might be something for them to, to look at, at, at the other options as we're, as we're becoming more seasoned? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and actually, that, that, that's um, one of the things that I recognized as I moved into this area 
was that a lot of the nurses were somewhat seasoned nurses too. They weren't, you know, young bedside nurses because, and they did this for just that reason. So they had the, they had the understanding of the disease process, understood how this particular surgery, the course of action that took, just like as OTs, after so many years, you sort of understand the process and, um, but yet the physical capabilities may be something that you're not able to do anymore. And so to explore this new um, opportunity of being a case manager, it still uses your skill set and your knowledge as occupational therapist or occupational therapy assistant in a new and different way. And I, I think too, I, I know even in the mental health system, a lot of times with, you know, there's such a shortage of of nurses right now and the nurses are being paid a lot more than they used to to be doing bedside nursing so maybe some some nurses that were looking at other things are now looking at bedside nursing again um, but seems to be a nice opportunity for occupational therapists and and depending on the requirements of an occupational therapy assistant um, to really look at some of these case management types of positions so when you're looking for a a, a case management job how is that posted on the on the job board? What does that look like? And then um, how do you recommend uh, that an occupational therapist start looking for that and maybe even applying for some of some of those positions? It's absolutely, you just go to Indeed or whatever um, platform you're looking at and, and query for case management or care coordinator and those opportunities will pop up. Now it may say, you know, nurse, and so, and I tip, what I did was say, are you only looking for a nurse? Because I am a CCM, but I'm an occupational therapist CCM. And they're like, sure, no, let, let you know, let's talk. You know, that's because that's what the majority of them are thinking. <clears throat> but then you sell yourself um, and the education and what you bring to the table and the experiences you've had. So, yeah, no, absolutely. It's similar to what I said to um, OT students who thought they wanted to work in mental health, but they said when they looked at jobs, they were only looking for recreational therapists. I said, well, apply for it and say, although I'm not a recreational therapist, I am an occupational therapist, and here's what I would bring to that position. And that the thing that we have that rec therapy doesn't at this point is that it's reimbursable through a lot of the private insurances. And so they could actually bill for when I would see a client as opposed to a recreational therapist. But again, unless the employer is told that that's potentially something that you would bring, they're not, they're not thinking that because they just get into the, we had one, we had a rec therapist leave. We're going to fill it with a rec therapist, you know, and not think that, well, maybe we should re-look re at that just like with case managers that used to be nurses, but maybe we should look at a occupational therapist. Or yeah. And I, and I think especially with the, the shortage, the shortage of nurses, and as I said, the number of nurses that have gone back to bedside nursing because the, you know, after the post-COVID world or whatever the world is that we're in right now, um, that bedside nursing has really begun to to pay well. So I think people are are looking at that. So, so if you have someone right now that might be thinking, well, maybe not today, but maybe in the next couple years, um, I think all of us in our day-to-day -day job have some case management function, whether we call it case management or not, but are there things that a, that a practitioner currently that's working in a, in a hospital or a, a nursing home or even a school, you know, could, could start doing now to start looking at maybe a few years down the road that, that I might want to start looking at case management positions? Sure. Yeah, actually, 
during your annual performance review, you know, if in fact you feel like some of the things you are doing are, you know, doing that sort of case management care coordination piece, you ask your um, supervisor saying, you know, I think that because of X, Y, and Z that I did over this past year really qualified me to be part of my job being considered as a case manager. Would you be willing to put that in writing so that if I decide to go down that path, I have documentation that, you know, 10% of what I did, you know, this year or 20% of what I did this year was care coordination or case management and see what they say. And then, then you have that documentation so that when you do go down that path, um, you're able to have the documents in place to verify um, with that particular employer and that particular supervisor that some of the tasks and job responsibilities you had were case management. Right, because I would think that a, that a rehab manager in a healthcare system, for example, would, would want to potentially see a you know, one of their, their staff maybe eventually move into a, a case management role, because I think, you know, I, I think anything that, that we do when we're working with someone else that's within, you know, OTPT speech, we just tend to understand each other a little bit better in terms of what we're trying to do than maybe a, a we love our nurse friends. And I know you, your, your wife is a nurse, so we, we like our, our nurses, certainly. Um, but the ways that we can um, kind of continue to grow our profession and, and really advocate for our profession and, and, you know, having, you know, whenever you've been able to call someone from an insurance company, instead of getting uh, a nurse, if you can, if you can get to get through and talk to a, to a therapist, then sometimes you, you get a little uh, easier uh, uh, person on the other line of the call that you can, you know, at least talk about some things in, in common, I suppose. Absolutely. We have, you know, similar lam- language. We have nomenclature that's similar. Yeah, and so I I know, and it's also to go to the the certified case management website um, to look and see what those requirements are. But you know, it's anytime you can you can keep those. Uh, you know, it's like our continuing education hours. We have to uh, keep track of those, which I know here in occupationaltherapy.com is very easy for us to do. Um, but it's important, you know, I think in in any any line of work that we're in to be able to. Um, to actually, um, you know, have in writing what it is that, that we're doing and saying that we're doing. So, um, and then, so, but specifically for that, that CCM, the Certified Case Management, about what are the requirements right now for that? So you need how many, two years of experience, and then what, what percentage of time within that? Currently, it's <clears throat> at least 20% of your job um, over the past two years needed to be in case management. Um, you have to be a person of good moral character. You have to be licensed. Um, uh, and then whatever the standards are, and it's actually the commission for case manager certification. So it's CCMC is what they would Google. Uh, and that would take you to the homepage that tells you, and there's a certification guide, just like with the MBCOT with taking the OT exam or the OTA exam, it's, you know, very similar. It tells you, you know, what's needed. Did you pass on your first ta- your first attempt? I did. I did. Or were you grandfathered in? Oh, no. I wasn't sure if you were pre-certification. No, I, I, I there wasn't, there wasn't, um, no one got CCM until the first um, test that was administered there. Everyone has had to take it. Gotcha. And so you said that's, what, what are some of the general topics that, 
that are, are part of that. So you talked about medication. Um, what other types of things are they going to ask you about? Different conditions, you know, so you have to have an understanding of mental health conditions as well as physical conditions, um, medical surgical conditions, um, different environments that people are discharged to so that you have somewhat of an understanding of what a halfway house is versus a group home versus, you know, all the other kinds of post-acute care settings. So it's, again, the guide tells them exactly what they need to um, look for. There's workshops to help prepare someone to take the exam and be successful, um, similar to our certifications as OTs and OTAs, again, which, again, makes it much easier because it's not something that you're not familiar with. It's just another credential that you're going to earn and then want to try and keep as long as you keep up with the continuing education. And then what are the continuing education requirements to, to maintain that? You have to have, um, gosh, I think it's 80 um, CCEUs um, every five years. So it's not challenging. And when you become a member of the Case Management Society of America, because you're a member, you have lots of free CEUs that are offered at your local chapters. And then if you go to a conference, you end up getting a lot, just like with OT, with going to a state conference or the national conference, you get a lot more CEUs. So it's not challenging, um, and it forces us to stay up to date with what's happening. Gotcha. And I'm not sure if, uh, if our, our family of companies here own certifiedcasemanagement.com or not. I guess Fawn can tell us whether or not there's a, maybe there's there's a, a case management podcast that I wasn't aware of that, that maybe, you know, can be in, a, in another world. So um, so if someone, so as you said, if, a, if an occupational therapist um, is interested in becoming a CCM, what are some just initial steps you'd recommend they take at this point? To start doing some case management at your current job, you know, thinking broadly about pulling people together um, in a very formal way, having an agenda to talk about, you know, what's going on with this person physically, what is going on, you know, mentally, uh, what environment are they, you know, needing to go back to, do they have a job to go, all those kinds of things um, that as OTs we should think about, but I know a lot of times in acute care, it's about, you know, getting them off the vent or it's about, you know, getting some of those lines out of them and moving them out onto the floor and that we're not always thinking about, you know, what does this person do for a living prior to this accident, injury, or illness? Um, and so if you start thinking about that, even in the setting that you're in and start trying to get others to, you know, think along those lines as well. And to then when they're being moved out, say, you know, this person is, you know, an attorney and wants to return back to their, employment as an attorney and can they do that you know virtually can they do that part-time you know will the, the law firm take them back so that you're asking those kinds of questions and getting some responses from the physicians from the other providers on the care to then be able to ask your employer the supervisor that you report to to say in your annual review that you know this person kept us on our, on top of this these cases that were more complicated um, so that you have that to show as, in terms of the employer um, evidence when you have to upload that. 
program. And then, as you said, uh, reaching out to the certified case manager um, organization, and you can start looking and seeing what those requirements are. Maybe there's a, a local meeting that they can go and start meeting some people. And, and I'm sure you're always happy to, to hear from people at, uh, uh, at Indiana University. So if you just do a, a search, I'm sure Tom's email will populate there somewhere. So, well, Tom Fisher, one of the 100 most influential occupational therapists in the United States in the last 100 years, uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, again, all that you've, you've done for the profession of occupational therapy. And now as we're hearing a little bit about the profession of, of uh, certified case managers. So thanks again for your time today. No, thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it thoroughly.